You're listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. Family Church. My name is Hal Mayer. I'm the campus pastor of the Temple Terrace campus. Just like to welcome all of you here today, all of you in this room, all of you that are watching online, of course, all of our seven campuses as we all sync up and here, week two of our series hit space. Now, if you weren't here last week, Pastor Jeff Countryman uh, kicked off the series. He talked about how we need to create space uh, for God in our lives, but also when we create space, we kick Satan in the face, I believe is what he said. And so this week we're continuing that series and we're talking about creating space through boundaries. And the crowd went wild, right? Yay, boundaries. But we all, we all have boundaries, right? We're used to boundaries. We grew up with boundaries. I mean, and when you were a kid, your parents gave you boundaries in the same way. When you became a parent, you gave them boundaries. I mean, and start right away because when you were a little baby, you couldn't move. They don't need boundaries. They can't move. But then they start to crawl. And what happens? You go, oh no. There's all these things they can reach. And so, and all of a sudden they can, they can walk and there's all the more things that they can reach. So what do you do? You start to create boundaries with chairs and couches and random things to keep them away from the things that are most dangerous, right? Because you care about them. You don't want them to get near that. And our, our oldest son, Hal, he, he had a affinity for power cables, like just loved them for some reason. Like, like love the power strips. And he would go up, he would find one in any room. He would go up and he'd grab, and I have to go grab him and pull him back and say, hey, we don't do that. And then he'd crawl right back up to it. I have to pull him back away from it over and over again. And one time I was watching football on TV and I look over and I think he was waiting for me to make eye contact with him. Because he made direct eye contact with me, direct eye contact, put out his hand like this and grabbed the power cable. That was the moment that I realized that my parents' prayer that I would have one just like me, (laughs) don't do that. And I'm like, what in the world? So I go up, I smack him on the hand. I said, you can't do that. Why? Because I don't want him to have fun with power cables because I'm a mean father. No, I don't want him to get hurt. I don't want him to do the wrong thing. So we grew up with boundaries. But something happens, we, we, we leave the house, we go to college or we start a job and all of a sudden we go, we have freedom, we don't have boundaries. Then we get hit in the face a couple times, we go, well maybe some boundaries are a good idea. But then we go throughout life and every stage we, we change, all of a sudden we get a little bit older and we're like, well I'm grown, I don't need boundaries. And we go back and forth with this idea of whether or not we need boundaries in our lives. And I think as Christians, as Christians, we, we misconstrue God's idea for our lives when he says that he wants to give us freedom. 
And we hear this, God wants to give you freedom. That's why he's forgiven you. That's why he sent his son. And we think freedom is, I just get to do whatever I want anytime I want. What's the problem with that? If we just do whatever we want, we continue to walk into the things that we shouldn't. And while God always forgives us, always forgives us, what he doesn't take away is the consequence of our sin. Right? And so the idea of what freedom is, is being able to do whatever I want, actually puts us in a place lacking freedom. In fact, I'll even say it like this. I think you would agree with me. Our greatest regrets in life, the things that we've done, could be avoided if we had the right boundaries in life. Right? It, our greatest regrets in life, it could have been avoided if we had the right boundaries in life whether they're moral boundaries, relational boundaries, financial boundaries, or maybe even professional boundaries. And I think as Christians, when we focus too much on the idea, well, God's gonna forgive me and not understand that there's consequences of sin, we miss it. Because I need you to know this, there's always a relational consequence with sin. When you look at the 10 commandments, every single one of them had a relational consequence. Either I damaged my relationship with God or I damaged my relationship with others. And what God wants us to do is take that seriously. Take that seriously and set up boundaries in our life so that we stay away from it. The problem is many times when we look to set up boundaries in our life, we ask the wrong question. We ask how far is too far, right? And we go up to the line. We go, this is the line, I'm gonna stay right here. And the problem that happens when you stay right on the line is what? You're constantly bombarded by temptation. You're constantly bombarded by, by choices. And what happens over time is it starts to affect our hearts. Constant temptation, constant choices, constant anxiety to make the right choice over and over again, it affects our hearts and it starts to change our hearts. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, it says, guard your hearts above all else. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. It says, I need you to understand when your heart is going in the wrong direction, so will your life. See, the reason we need moral margin, the reason we need boundaries, is if we live a life under constant temptation, under constant temptation, we will never feel peace. We will never get rid of the anxiety in our lives and we'll constantly be faced with the choices that we don't wanna have to make over and over again. And what happens is when that temptation is always there, it starts to change our heart. And when our hearts change, so do our actions. Matthew 15, 19, this is Jesus explaining it. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. That's why you probably heard some people say to you before, hey, check your heart, right? It's not that you're doing the wrong thing, but your heart's in the wrong place. And we know this over time, when our heart is in the wrong place, we will start to make decisions that we wouldn't normally. We'll start to do the things we know we ought not do. And so what do we do? We set up boundaries in our life. Now, what is a boundary? It's a system we design, something that we do, to keep us from straying into areas that are dangerous and off limits. They keep us from going to the wrong place. And when we set a boundary, here's what we don't do. We don't set it on the edge of the sin, we take a couple steps back. And we set the boundary there, why? So we don't have to even deal with the temptation of that sin. Look, we all need boundaries in our lives. We all need that margin between us and the things we know we shouldn't do and the things that will hurt all the relationships in our life. But how do we do it? 
How do we set boundaries in our life that will matter? How do we set boundaries that we will actually keep? Well, it goes back to really one of our biggest values here at Grace Family Church is that we are relational. We need to be in community because look, the friends that you keep will determine whether or not your boundaries last. In fact, I'll say this way. Our best boundaries are created and kept because of the friends we have. Our best boundaries are created and kept because of the friends we have. We've said this before, our friends determine the direction and quality of our lives. And here's what I know is happening right now across all campuses. All the parents in the room are nudging their kids. Like, look, the pastor agrees with me. Here's what I want you to do. Kids, you have full permission right now to nudge back and go, you too. Because just because we're an adult doesn't mean we don't need boundaries. It doesn't mean we don't need to pay attention to our friends. We never reach a level of maturity where we don't have to look at our friends and decide whether or not they're going in the same direction we are and in the same path. Here's what's so interesting. The more, the more research they do into community and to friend groups, the more they realize, even if you're not doing what everybody else is doing, your brain is starting to align with their brain. There's a guy named Morgan Cerf. And he has a PhD in neuroscience. And this is what he is saying, this is from his study. He says, the more we study engagement, we see time and time again that just being next to certain people actually aligns your brain with them, whether you like it or not. He says, based on their mannerisms, the smell in the room, the noise level, and many other factors. This means the people you hang out with actually have an impact on your engagement with reality beyond what you can explain. And one of the effects is you become alike just by being in the same room. So his conclusion is this, if we wanna maximize happiness and minimize stress, we should build a life that requires fewer decisions by surrounding ourselves with people who embody the traits that we prefer. Over time, we'll naturally pick up those desirable attitudes and behaviors. At the same time, we can avoid the mentally taxing low-level decisions that sap the energy needed for high-stakes decisions. What is he saying? If you find the right friends, it's easier to do the right thing. Just automatically. We wanna hang out with people that we can lazily make the right decision, where we don't even have to think about it. It's not a choice we have to make, why? Because we need that energy to make the big choices in life. The goal is to hang out with God-honoring people so that we become more God-honoring. Proverbs 13, 20, Solomon says this 3,000 years before Morgan Surf, he says basically the same thing. He says, walk with the wise and become wise. You know, he doesn't say listen to the wise. He doesn't say learn from the wise. He doesn't have conversation with the wise. He goes, if you just walk with the wise, you'll become wise. And in the same way, associate with fools and get into trouble. He says, when you hang out with the wrong people, sooner or later, you're gonna do the wrong thing. Sooner or later, you're gonna do something you know you shouldn't do. Why? Because friends that aren't concerned with the way that they live their lives won't be concerned about the way you live your life. Friends that aren't concerned about the, the quality of their marriage will not care about the quality of your marriage. Friends that are not concerned about raising godly kids will not care about your kids. So what we have to do is if we want to do the things God called us to do is to surround ourselves with the right people. But here's the problem. And you, some of you are already there because you know this. You're like, I have some people in my life that I need to distance from, but the moment I distance from them, they're all gonna say the same thing. You're judging me, right? You're judging me. No, you're not. Here's what judging somebody is. It's holding them to that standard. You're not holding them to that standard. You're using good judgment. You're going, you know what? I know me. I know my problems. I know my temptations. And I know if I hang out with you too much, I know what I'm going to do. 
So I, it's good judgment. It's not judging somebody else. And hear me on this. This is an act of love. It is an act of love for you to create distance from that person so that you can become emotionally and spiritually healthy because when they end up in the dish that we know they will end up in, you actually have the ability to help them out. Look, if you're in the same ditch, you can't help each other. It's an act of love to do the right thing, to help somebody come back to where they should be. And here, know, know this. The moment you tell somebody that the way they live their life isn't a good idea, they will have a really good argument. Very good argument of why it's okay, the Bible doesn't say that, and this is you know gray here, and it's not causing any problems yet. They'll have a really good argument. But here's the deal, I need you to hear me on this. A good argument is not a replacement for wisdom. Because as Christians, we are not called just to make the right choice. We are called to make the wise choice. See, we look to the future. We know if this happens and then this happens, this is where we're gonna end up. See, Jesus said in Luke 7, 35, says, but wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. Because we know how wisdom is gonna play out. Look, here's what I know. We don't get to choose who we're related to. We don't. Maybe your spouse. Hopefully you chose your spouse. We don't get to choose the people we work with, many of us. We don't get to choose those. But we do get to choose our community. We do get to choose the people that we hang around the most. And what we need to do every once in a while, even as adults, and this is what we're not used to, is evaluate the friendships that we have. Is to look at our friendships, to look at the people around us and go, is this, are these the people that I need to have in my life because are they leading me to a place that I need to go or are they taking me to a place that I don't need to be? So here's what I wanna give you. Five questions to ask about your friendships. And here's what I know. You're like, these are the questions I ask my kids. Guess what? You get to ask them too about your own friendships. Here's the first one. Are my friends going in the direction I would like to go? Are the closest friends that I have following after God? Do I ever feel the need to pretend to be someone that I am not? People are like, adults don't do that, really? Ever been to a family reunion? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's pretending to be someone they're not because they don't want to have the conversation, right? We, we do this. We, we act like we're somebody else. Do I feel pressure to compromise my beliefs and actions? Am I constantly in a state where I go, you know what? I know I'm not supposed to do this, but everybody else is. Here's, this, here's one. Have I ever thought I'll go, but I won't participate? Look, if this lie would not work for your teenage daughter or teenage son, it doesn't work for you, right? We've heard them say it. Oh, dad, it's okay. I'll go, but I promise I won't do anything. Yeah, no, no. Or this, have you ever worried that someone you cared about would find about your whereabouts? Meaning you're going to the place you know you shouldn't go. You're not doing those things, but if your family, the people you cared about the most knew that you were there, they would be hurt by it. Because these are the things that we look at. Because if our friends are not going in the same direction we are, we won't go in that direction either. The best we can hope for is not to move at all. But that doesn't happen. Normally what happens is we're always moving in one direction and it's the same way as our friend group. So why do, why do I talk about friends so much? Why do I talk about relationships? Because look, if we don't have the right friends in our life, we will not be able to keep the boundaries that we know we need to keep. And we definitely won't be able to keep the boundaries of what I think is the number one place that we need to have boundaries. 
the number one place that we need boundaries because according to the Bible, it's the number one area where the consequences are greater than every other consequence. And it's this, we all need boundaries in sexual sin. We all, all. Well, I'm old, no, I don't care how old you are. We all need boundaries in sexual sin. Now here's what's gonna happen. The moment, young people all the way through, the moment we set boundaries for sexual sin, culture will make fun of us. They will call us prude. They will say, oh, that's just a dumb idea. I don't know why God would say that. But the moment a Christian crosses the line and messes up, they will bash you, they will ridicule you, and they'll say, oh, there's nothing different about Christianity. In fact, this is the one area where culture baits us in to sin the most. Because think about it, all the movies we watch, all the TV shows we watch, all the books that we read, all the, all the music that we listen to, all glorifies sexual sin. But the moment, but the moment somebody close to us does the same thing that somebody does on TV, we are mortified. We are mortified that they would do that. And look, hear me on this. Sexual sin is not any less forgivable it's not any less forgivable. But what we see over and over in the Bible is this, is that God says the consequence, the consequence of sexual sin is so much bigger. Like, can we just, can we just be honest for a moment? Like if we got this one area right, how much it would change the world? How much it would change culture? Like if we got this right, there would be less poverty less unwanted pregnancies, less domestic violence, there'd be fewer kids in the foster care system. Like the, the consequences of this sin are so far reaching. That's why when we read about it in the Bible, literally Paul, when he's talking to the church in Corinth, tells us this, he says, run from sexual sin. He doesn't say stay in the room in it, with it and you know, resist the temptation. He says, run from sexual sin, why? Because that's what you want your spouse to do. That's what you want your fiance to do, right? That's what you want your kids that you're trying to raise in a godly household to do. He says, run from sexual sin. Why? Because no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. It says, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And then he goes into why this is so important. He says, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. He goes, you are worth more than you realize. You're worth more because of what's inside of you. Because God has taken residence because of that, he goes, I, I don't want you to mess this up. The problem is we don't run from sexual immorality. We kind of flirt with it. We get up to the line and we deal with it. The problem is sexually, sexual sin is it's uniquely damaging because God created it for a covenant relationship. That's why it's crazy for me when people say, well, God just hates sex. He doesn't hate sex. He created it. But he said, there's a purpose for it. There's a relationship where it should stay. When it goes outside of that, it damages not only you, but the relationships around you. In fact, when Jesus was talking about sexual sin and he's saying, hey, these are the boundaries that you need to pay attention to. He sets up not one boundary, but three boundaries that we need to see. It's in Matthew 5, 27 to 30. It says this, he says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. That's in the 10 commandments. 
Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He goes, you know what? I, I think before the line has been just don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, don't even think about it. Then he goes on and he, he says, there's some verses here that people misconstrue and they're like, Jesus, that's extreme. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. Is God really saying, is Jesus really saying in this part, hey, if you look on somebody lustfully and it causes you to sin, you should pluck it out? No, because by middle school, all men would be blind. No, what does he say? He goes, here, here's the deal. There's three places. You need to guard your mind. You need to guard what you're paying attention to in your eyes. And of course you need to guard your actions. He goes, there's three different levels. The boundary of just not going over this boundary and sleeping with somebody is not enough. We need to step back from it and make sure that our mind and our eyes are doing the same thing. So how do we create these boundaries? How do we start? Here's the first thing. We talk through the boundaries that need to be set. Who do we talk through these boundaries with? Our spouse, maybe our fiance, the person that we're dating, and also an accountability partner or group. Why? Why do we talk through these boundaries? One, our spouse can see things that we don't see. The people, the, the people around us, our, our accountability people can see things that we don't see, that we're not paying attention to. And the reason we talk through these things is so that we can be on the same page. And then it says this, tell them the boundary that, we, that you are setting. Why do we tell people the boundary that we're setting? Because it's really easy not to stick to one that nobody knows about, right? Well, I'm not gonna do that, but I'm not gonna tell anybody. And when I go over it, well, I messed up, but nobody knows, right? It's really easy not to do that. It's really easy not to set that boundary. And look, I get people asking me all the time, well, who is it that I need to be paying attention to? Who is it that I need to, to, to set the boundary in? I don't need to tell you, you already know. Right? It's the person that you purposely try to see every single day. It's the person at the office that you go and get coffee at a certain time or you at home when you walk your dog at a certain time because you hope you're gonna run into them. Those are the people that we need to set boundaries for. And here's number three, tell them when your mind and your heart start to drift. Now I'll say this, if you're doing this at the very beginning part, I say this goes to an accountability partner, not the spouse. And some of you may disagree with me on this, but, here, but here's the deal, I have an accountability partner that I talk to in the moment it goes far at all, he's talking to my spouse. Two, he also has permission, my wife also has permission to call him at any time and go, hey, is there something going on here? But the reason I go to him is my wife doesn't need to know every time I think a woman's attractive. She doesn't need to know that, but what do I do? I, I tell my accountability partner, why? Because it says in the Bible, when we bring things into the light, they lose power. When we bring things into the light, they lose power. So we go, hey, this is something that I'm dealing with. This is someone that I'm looking at. And they go, okay, so let's set some boundaries so you can step back from it. So what boundaries do you need? I don't know. You need to go through this process. We need to set boundaries and all of us need to do this. Why? Because sexual sin, the devastation it causes is so much more. That's why at Grace, we, we follow what many would call the, it's the Billy Graham rule. And you may have heard it before, you don't drive with, eat, or take a trip with someone of the opposite sex by yourself. And a lot of people would chastise for them 
chastise him for that. And then we heard of Mike Pence had the same rule and people went nuts because they said, well, if you do that, then women can't move up in leadership and women can't have these places. And here's the truth. If people use it as a power play, that's absolutely true. But I guarantee you this, everyone I know that has said that, both men and women have never looked back at that decision and said, man, I wish I wouldn't have boundaries. Look, when it comes to sexual sin, none of us 10 years from now will look back and say, man, my life is awful. I shouldn't have set those boundaries. We're gonna look back and go, man, I wish I would have set those boundaries. And there's two things that I just wanna tag on here. The first one is social media. Look, they, they've proven social media is one of those places where uh, emotional entanglements can grow. We can create false narratives. We can focus on somebody way too much. And look, I, I don't, it, it amazes me how much we stay with social media, even though we know how dangerous it can be. Because we see this every other day, I see somebody on my feed going, I'm gonna take a break from social media. And when they come back, what do they say? No one says that was awful, my life was ruined because I took a break from social media. Like no one's like, man, I took a break from social media and I wasted all my time. No, they're like, man, I feel great, I feel awesome. Let's go back. But here's what I know. If that's a problem with you, if that's a problem that you have, you gotta find a boundary. You gotta way, find ways of blocking that, getting rid of that. I've had people that I know very much that have switched to a flip phone. You're like, I can't do that. Look, is Angry Birds worth it? <laughs> and here's what I also know. It's working with young adults. As I know for many, social media is that, that primer to go and look at pornography. It's that beginning point. And, and parents, I just wanna start here. I believe parents, we have an obligation to protect our kids. Amen. They do not have the ability to deal with us. The average age a kid sees porn is between eight and 11. Which means the conversation always has to start earlier. I'm not saying you have, uh, the conversation with my son started at six and it wasn't a conversation about it. It was, hey, if you see any of these things, you need to come and talk to me. You're not in trouble, but I need to know about it right away. And look, here's what I do. Every device he has the possibility of getting on, it is locked down and it has accountability software on it. Why? Because I don't want him to even have the possibility of making that choice. And I told him that. I'm like, this, this, you can't even look at anything you're not supposed to. I see everything you're doing. Why? Because I don't want him to even have to deal with the temptation of, I might be able to look at it. Because here's what we know with the research. The earlier a person sees pornography, the greater the addiction. The greater the addiction. So we have an opportunity. Look, if your kid has unlimited access to the internet, they have unlimited access to the worst and most vile things that can wreak havoc in their brain. And I know some of the kids in here are like, don't listen, no. Look, it's, it's loving them and it's caring for them because they don't have the ability to make the right decision over and over when it comes to this temptation. And in the same way, look, as adults, we need to have boundaries in this. For the last year, I have averaged at least two men coming to me, some married and some not, every single week going, I am being failing at this. My, my wife just found out. She is just incredibly angry. I keep continuing to look at this. It's killing my marriage. And I have this coming up over and over again. So every time we talk about pornography, I always have someone to come up to me. Why do we keep talking about it? Because it's killing marriages. And I wanna redefine what, what it means 
to be addicted to pornography because the number one I hear, thing I hear from guys is not they're, they're looking at it multiple times a day. It's once every two to three months. Once every two to three months. You go, how that's not that bad, really? It's not that bad every two to three months to wreck the intimacy in your marriage. Every two to three months to all of a sudden see your spouse is less attractive than they are. Every two to three months to wreck your relationship with God. Look, we, we need boundaries. We need, some of us, we need programs on our phone. We need programs on our laptops. We need whatever we need. Some of us, we need to go to celebrate recovery. We need support groups around us. This is not something that we mess with. Why? Because sexual sin is uniquely damaging. It's uniquely damaging. Look, we all need boundaries when it comes to sexual sin. But also, we all need boundaries just for us. We all need very specific boundaries. Let me say it this way. We choose to create boundaries for the sins that are most attractive to us. We must choose to choose the boundaries for the sins that are most attractive to us and most dangerous to us. It's kind of like this. When I go to Bush Gardens with my son and we see all the animals, all the animals are in very different cages, right? You walk up to the meerkats, it's only about this high, there's a bunch of plexiglass around it, like that's fine. Then you go to the lions and the tigers, very big walls, very big moats. Why? Because if the meerkats got out, nobody's running away going, oh no, the meerkat ate my kid. Everybody's like, meerkats got out, maybe you can pick one up and take it home. But if the lions or the tigers got out, everything changes. Here's, here's what I mean by that. For some of you, a certain sin is a lion. It's a tiger. It is dangerous for you. But for somebody else, it's a meerkat. And one of the worst things we can do is become overly religious and say this, every boundary that I set, you have to set too. Because each of us have something different that we're dealing with. Each of us has a different sin that we are most attractive to. Ephesians 5.18, this is Paul speaking. He says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. He says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And then he says one of the most fun, controversial things in church life. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean to be drunk? What's great is culture defines it even less. What do they say? Say drink responsibly, which is hilarious because the more you drink, the less responsible you become. <laughs> so the question is this, what does it mean? What are we supposed to do with alcohol, Hal? I hear people say different things all the time. The Bible says, the Bible doesn't say you can't drink. It says, don't be drunk. But for some people we know there's not a possibility for them to drink and not become drunk. Like we know for people that have to go into AA, they don't just say, hey, stop drinking. They say, you need to change your entire life. See, for people who are going into AA, for people who have a real problem with alcohol, they need to erect big fences. Like they need Jurassic Park electric fences. But for other people, like some in this room, you can have a drink and it doesn't affect you. You need a plexiglass wall. Right? But here's what we also know it says in the Bible. It says, don't do anything that would bring down or cause your brother to stumble. Which means, if we know someone, if we have a friend, if we have a family member that deals with alcohol, when we are in their presence, our boundaries change. Why? Because we love them. Because we care about them. You know, it's interesting, whenever we talk about this idea of alcohol or whatever it may be, like nobody's ever said, you know what, I'm so happy I made that decision when I was drunk. Why, why does God say don't be drunk? Because he doesn't want you to do anything that affects your mind. Because let me say this, parents, 
Your kids should affect the way you go through this. If you know in your family there's a genetic predisposition, which we know that that is a case, it should change your boundaries. It should change the way we live. In the same way, guys, every sin that we look at, we've got to look at, is this something that I'm dealing with or is this not? Is this a plexiglass window or is this a big wall that I need to erect in my life because this is a problem? And one of the greatest ways of figuring that out is what do I keep doing or, or what does everybody keep telling me I need to stop doing? I hear people, I don't have a problem with that, but everybody else thinks I do. You have a problem. <laughs> you have a problem. See, it's not just about alcohol. 1 Corinthians 6.12 said it this way. It says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. No one plans to wreck their car, Right? Just in the same way, no one plans to wreck their life. Yeah, we know every single morning people wake up and they're going, what did I just do? How did I end up here? How did this happen? Look, no one plans to wreck their life. They just didn't plan not to. See, what boundaries do is they give us the margin between what we naturally do and the sin allows us to take a step back to gain some emotional freedom so that we can make the right choices. Let me say it this way, choosing to step away from what harms us is actually choosing to step toward the ones that love us. Choosing to step away, it's choosing to move towards God. It's choosing to take a step towards our family and those that we care about. So when we choose to put margin in our lives, we're saying, I care enough about you and our relationship to stay away from what I know affects me the most. So the question is this, is what boundary do you need to set? What boundary do you need to set? What, what, what boundary do you need to put in your life? And what friends do you need to bring in or remove so that you can keep that boundary? Look, all of us have a next step in that. I can't decide yours. You have to look at your own life and decide there. See, what's so credible about God is when he sent his son down to this earth, like he, he made the ultimate sacrifice to forgive us of our sins. But not only that, he goes, I'm giving you a new power. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit that's going to empower you to make the right decisions. See, this sin thing, you couldn't deal with it on your own. So I'm gonna send you a power. I'm gonna send you a helper that's gonna be the conscience in the back of your head and the power to do what is right. And one of the things the Holy Spirit will help you do is to make the right decisions to keep, stay far away from the sins you know you don't need to commit. But maybe for some of you in this room, you haven't started that relationship yet. You're like, I keep trying to do the right thing, but I continue to fail. Yeah, welcome to the club. We all need God's help. We all need that relationship with God. So today, if that's you, if you wanna start that relationship with him, I'm gonna say a prayer out loud here in just a moment that you can say quietly right where you're at and start that relationship. If we could, if we could bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear God, I know that I've sinned. Please forgive me. God, I believe in your son, Jesus, that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again. Today, I'm committing my life to you. God, please send me the Holy Spirit to help me make wise decisions. God, thank you for loving me first. 
And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, if you made that decision today, that is the best decision that you will ever make. And we would love to come around you as a community, as, as friends and help you with next steps. So right now, here's what I'm gonna do. To close out the service, I'm gonna ask the campus pastors to come up and give us some next steps. Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.